What are you? Are you your ethnicity, your career, your hobbies, your interests, your relationships, your experiences? Are you what you eat? Or maybe all of the above? <laughs> we are all human and we are so beautiful and multifaceted. So every episode, we are going to embrace our complexity and explore and uncover the many sides of our identity. I'm your host, Angelisa. Let's do it. And welcome to the first episode ever recorded of What Are You? A new podcast. I'm Angelisa. I am your host. And today I have a very, 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 very special guest. It is <laughs> the one, the only, my roommate, Tabitha. Woo! Give me applause. Um, okay, hi Tabitha! Hello! Hi! Okay, so I just hyped you up a lot. Who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. What mm. are... Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> who, am, um, who am I? Um, my name is Tabitha. I am 26. I will be 27 in like three weeks actually, so... Happy almost birthday. Happy Libra Happy season. Happy Libra season. Um, fast approaching. I am currently working as a technology consultant at a big technology consulting firm. Smart. Um, very smart. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. <laughs> it depends on the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm an older sister to four younger brothers. Grew up in New Rochelle, New York, so not too far from where we are right now in Manhattan. Um, big into... I feel like saying you're into podcasts is like a weird thing. Like, I'm into podcasts. I'm into podcasts, but it's almost like when people are like, oh, I go home and watch Netflix. Like, they're not really saying anything. Like, I'm into television. I'm into, like, a medium as opposed to, like, very specific things. But specifically, I'm into true crime podcasts. Ugh, I'm into I, all of the podcasts. Self-help podcasts. <laughs> anything NPR puts out there. Um, Literally every podcast I've been into. <laughs> like, if I listen to it, like... Chances are I'll be like, oh my god, I'm obsessed. I think I like this podcast. I like I fall asleep in podcasts. I know. Oh my gosh, yesterday, sorry to tangent already. No, I fell okay. asleep to this British man reading chapters of Alice in Wonderland. Wait, was it Sleepy? I don't know oh, if it was wait, Sleepy. Maybe Sleepy's, uh, I think he's in like Massachusetts or something. I don't know. But I have tried my fair share of sleep podcasts. Um, really good. When I first moved here, when I lived in Airbnbs, mm -hmm. um, and audience, you will know what that means, I guess, at some point. <laughs> but when I first moved here, here being the Big Apple, New York City, in the um, beginning of COVID, I didn't have a fan, and I was so used to falling asleep to the sound of a fan. Oh. And I tried many things, including um, getting... <laughs> a fan video and just like what? having it play on YouTube. There's also a fan Spotify what? playlist. Why? I don't what? know. I think I it's mean, for just people for you. like me. Yeah, yeah obviously. Um, and then I found the first of my sleep podcasts, which was Sleepy. Shout out oh. Sleepy. Woo woo, big fans. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's just this man reading 
classic literature in the most boring, monotonous way he can. It's perfect. Yeah. It's just perfect. And I was like, wow, I'm getting smarter. I'm like, sleep. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Basically an audiobook. My anxiety time. is cleared. I'm yeah. going to sleep a full eight hours tonight, and I'm becoming more intellectual by the minute. Right. No, I check, think check, the check. first one I listened to was Pride and Prejudice because oh I guess also maybe six-ish months Five months before I moved here, I was in Pride and Prejudice, and I was, like, feeling nostalgic. And I was like, wow, remember when we used to be able to do theater? And now we can't. Um, but now we can again. But now we, well, now we can, but should we? I don't know. Should I? I'm unsure. But that is a beautiful description of who you are, Tabitha. So nice to meet you. <laughs> I obviously know you. I've lived with you for um, a little over a year. Year and a half. A year and a half at this point. Oh my gosh. Um, and yeah, you're awesome to live with. And Thank you. Um, can you introduce our other special guest on the pod today? Um, so Bailey will not be speaking today. Oh. Um, because she does not speak English, unfortunately. But my not cute yet. little three-year-old foster dog, Bailey, is also joining us today. Um, if you can imagine, she's a beautiful black little schnauzer mix. Um, she has the most beautiful, adorable brown eyes. And she's just so sweet. And she's just laying in my arms and just soaking up the warmth. She's just so yes. We are obsessed with Bailey here in our apartment slash at what are you the podcast we are big bailey um, fans big bailey fans ba- bailey's also a fan of every human on the planet so <laughs> that's so, also really helpful it's the sweetest thing on earth just like she will just come up to she's always sniffing people and i'm like bailey that's impolite yeah but it's just so endearing she's just so curious yeah and she loves humans she's always like giving everyone like little cuddles and kisses and just, yeah yeah, she just makes me happy. This she, is a dog that smiles, everyone. Like, I kid you not, regularly. this dog smiles, like, in daily life, but also for pictures. Because <laughs> she's, so she's so cute. Okay, but let's let's do this podcast, Get into you know? it. Um, so, Tabitha, mm-hmm. every episode at What Are You Pod, we are talking, we're answering the question basically, what are you? So a little background um, in case you didn't know, which I know you did, but in case you didn't know as a listener, uh, I am biracial, I'm half black, I'm half white. I am blonde, I have curly hair, but I definitely have black person features, whatever that means. And during 2020, during the lockdown, I, it suddenly occurred to me that people always my whole life constantly ask me what are you yeah which honestly is very rude because that is minimizing my identity and the identity of whoever else is asked that question that is minimizing our identity to be this little 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 bit of who we are putting us in this box there are just better ways to ask that question. So if you are a person who has gone up to someone asking about their ethnicity, but just said, what are you? Don't do that, please. Um, there's better verbiage, I there's think. better verbiage. Like, what's your ethnic background? Exactly. You know, where are your parents? What are your family from? What's your, yeah. your heritage? May I ask your uh, race or uh, what you identify as racially or ethnically i don't know there are so many different ways all of those just definitely feel more polite than what are you what are you but um we're reclaiming that question here at 
the podcast. So today we're starting off by exploring different elements of our identity. First with Tabitha. So Tabitha, today, um, what are you? What am I? So most obviously I am black. <laughs> Tabitha is black. I am black. I think that would be uh, hard for anyone to, to miss. Um, unless you were blind, but anyways. What type of black are you? I, my family is from Haiti, so both of my parents um, are from Haiti. They're both Haitian immigrants. I'm first generation American. Um, so cool. Thank you. Um, I speak the language absolutely poorly, such that my brother told me that the way that I speak Creole makes him never want to speak it again. Um, so I'm traumatized in addition yeah. to being a black woman, a Haitian American first gen woman. That's so cool. Wow. Thank you. Um, I am also a big sister. You know, it's always hard for me because I think it's not just the question of like, what are you? I think like, what are you? What do you do? Or like describe yourself. Like it's really hard to do it without thinking of jobs. And so I'm trying to think of like every other identity. No, but yeah. But what do you gravitate towards? Like I know. So, so like when I talk about you to other people, when I describe you to different friends, family, etc., I think about you <laughs> as being my roommate, friend, RA, mom, <laughs> inspiration, jack of all um, trades, plays guitar, master piano. of none, no master of all too, has a really fun seeming job because she gets to work from home, which is nice. That's the fun of it. That is the only fun part. Uh, but like, it sounds really smart and important and I can never remember what on earth it is. I know you tell me about it. I remember it in the context of the conversations, I promise. Um, as a consultant, it comes with the territory, no matter what, if what, anyone asks what you. What is a consultant? That's the right <laughs> question. What are you for consultants? We do a version of the podcast that's only consultants okay it's i don't know I've that's like, when you can ask that question right that's when you can ask that question because i have no clue on any given day um currently currently i'm like a project manager okay. i've done like design work before and like design systems for um, a major public sector project but yeah i think i i'm I don't know how to describe it. It's not that I'm like a lazy superwoman. Like I think that like there's a lot of parts to me. And I think, you know, when I answer this question or I think about this question, I'm trying to think like what feels most salient at the moment. Because I just got this tattoo, uh -huh. um, this little olive branch with like a, a break in between uh, with oh. a nine. And I'm thinking of my Enneagram, which is number nine, the peacemaker, uh -huh. um, which is I think an identity I've carried like my entire life. My, my parents always were... We're always at odds with one another, and I very much had to always be the person to sort of smooth things out and try and maintain the peace. Sure. Um, but I think becoming or being the peacemaker comes with its own set of challenges because not only are you trying to like smooth things over between two people, I think you know because you end up being so flexible, it's easy for you to sort of like subvert what you want and subvert your needs just to have calmness, just to have peace. Um, and so one of the great things from the Enneagram book that I read, The Road Back to You, um, that they mentioned was like for the nine Enneagram, you have to sort of break that piece sometimes in order to move forward, in order to progress. You need to somewhat put, you know, all of that energy that you've put into other people and, you know, keeping that harmony, you need to sometimes disrupt that so that mm -hmm. you can move forward and progress and flourish. And so I think that identity, that idea, that concept is very much you know, sitting with me right now. I think that's yeah. very much where I am. 
Um, I'm also a Libra. Um, personally. I am too. <laughs> personally, I think it is the best thing <laughs> of all these I think so signs. too. Like, I feel like there's always like really outwardly right. negative consequences for the other astrological signs if you so subscribe i do what i feel like it <laughs> but i feel like there's generally like a lot of more challenging more combative yes. traits libras are lovers libras of are art lovers of relationship they're very social they're warm they're lovers of intellect like who could go wrong here i think the only like downfall of libraism is that we're Super fans easy. of excess and like mm. lusciousness. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, it's like luxury. Luxury, that's the word, yeah. I have like, a moment of bougie every once in a while, but it's not crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, um, oh, we hear a little dog in the background. Oh, <laughs> makes me sad. Um, yeah, I always see those memes talking about Libras, like, getting the face mask, <laughs> and every time I get a face mask, you gotta know do how a to face take mask. care of yourself, you gotta Self-care. feel good on the inside. So important, and I'm really bad at it, so honestly, it's great that I do face masks sometimes, <laughs> but um, every time I do a face mask, I'm like, I'm in my Libra element. <laughs> Um, yeah, but that's so interesting, too, because I feel like a lot of elements of being a Libra tie back to your Enneagram, mm-hmm. number nine, the peacemaker, and then my Enneagram is number two, um, so it's very similar to yeah. nine in a lot of ways. I think nines can be outwardly a little more assertive, and I think that I'm assertive at times, but I think that with my Enneagram, I just go out of my way to avoid confrontation rather than mm-hmm. squash confrontation, and I just try to make sure that everyone around me is as good as possible at all mm-hmm. times, and I am, I'm not honestly sure if this is a part, I can't remember, but um, I am definitely very sensitive to the energies of people around me, yeah. and I, I absorb negative energy i absorb positive energy what it doesn't matter how i came into the space i cannot help it yeah um that could be part of adhd but we'll get there (laughs) (laughs) but i do think that's important like i think i don't know sometimes i knock myself i'm like maybe i'm overanalyzing maybe i'm overanalyzing but you know in reality you do have to be able to sort of assess like what feels good what doesn't or like what feels weird in order to navigate like i think a part of that is is normal I think when you hyperfixate on it, I think that's where it becomes problematic. But I think about that, like, I'm definitely like a step your foot in the pool, your toe in the the pool kind of thing, test out the temperature before, like, really diving in. And sometimes I just want to, sometimes I want to just dive in. And I think (laughs) that's why, uh, I guess, another part of who I am, am, um, I'm an improviser. A very, very, very low-level, novice, beginner improviser. Like, you're talking improv like you Level do one. improv, like SNL, like all that. Yeah. And, um, all the <laughs> other ones. UCB and Second and City. And all that stuff. Uh-huh. Yes, but on a very, 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 I just want a level set. Low level. Level one. Um, I tried musical improv on Monday. I loved That's it. So and it was so much fun. Because I think like, you know, in general, I'll just sit and make up like nonsense songs here. And I think it's such a fun outlet for that. 
That's um, what I do on a daily basis, <laughs> and I don't realize it until the song's over. Right, cooking in the kitchen, making an omelet, yeah, doing my business, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So just that. But I sing to my stage. cat about her and how she is the most beautiful cat on the planet, and she has you little socks on her feet. So beautiful, oh. kitty. Oh yes. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe that will make the next um, set list. <laughs> I love that. Um, but yeah, no, you are an improviser. Do you feel like doing improv in classes? or on stage mm -hmm. translates at all to your day-to-day -day life? Or have you noticed yeah. since you started it? Because you say you're lower level. How long have you been yeah. doing improv? So funny enough, like technically almost almost a year. I think around this time last year. So I think I started classes in November, mm -hmm. like right after, right before Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, and so technically a year, but like that's sort of been on and off. I did my level one class. Um, I did our grad show. I did a couple of drop-in classes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, as a person, I overthink a lot. And I think very, 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 very much about what I'm going to do and what I'm going to say. Yeah. In improv, you do have to be still, you still have to be deliberate and you have to make a choice, mm -hmm. but you don't have time to really second guess yourself. Yes. You have to dive into the pool and make that decision that you're going to dive into the pool and now that you're going to you can't just dip your toe in and I think right. that definitely is a skill that like is coming into to my life for sure I think I I feel like I'm just being more deliberate and more authentic in that way instead of like sort of you know holding back and saying like okay I'm gonna be a little shy in the background until I see what it is I'm really pushing myself to just like be my full self immediately and yeah. it doesn't take much I think when you're in the right setting when you're around people who you know, are in good spirits or, you know, are really open or friendly or whatever, receptive to that, it's really easy to be yourself and just, mm -hmm. you know, be your full self um, off the bat. And I think, you know, it takes me like a minute or two, but I'll get there. Yeah. But I think that improv for sure is just helping me strengthen my, my presence in social situations. I'm not showing up. And I don't think, I don't think I necessarily present as shy, but I'm pushing myself to, you know, put myself in, in my discomfort zone more often. Yeah. And that's because what I have to do all the time on stage, like it's right. never comfortable to get up and make something up, make a weird choice, hope mm -hmm. that it works and have other people play off of it. Like it's not comfortable. It's not like, yeah, it's not comfortable, but it's technically what you do in everyday life. Like every conversation is, imp is an improvisation. Yes. You know, every, you know, every interaction that you have is improvising. I didn't pre-plan this is most of this. This is improvising <laughs> currently. Um, no, but we do have a plan. We're not just like going off the cuff. Um, but but yes, this conversation is a conversation. Um, I, that reminds me of some of my favorite quotes. And I coached fitness for seven years. Um, and one thing I would always say to my classes is you have to get comfortable getting uncomfortable because it's true. Yeah. Like think about it in a fitness context, like you have to push yourself to not the breaking point. If you're doing that, that's a little unhealthy, but you have to push yourself just a little bit further, just a little out of your comfort zone and mm -hmm. your comfort zone can be something different every single day right. um, based on so many other factors. But if you're just pushing yourself just a little bit to do just a little bit more, whether it's, 
you know, working through that set that just doesn't feel like it's gonna happen mm -hmm. today, whether it's it's maintenance, whether it's getting uncomfortable by holding back a little bit mm -hmm. if you're someone who is kind of like, oh, let me throw it all out there, <laughs> but I'm tired today. So right. just like getting uncomfortable by honoring that, which may not be inherent for you, but I mean, I feel like so much of that is so applicable to so much of everyday life along right. with like progress isn't linear. I've found, especially over the past year, how applicable that is mm -hmm. to my life, my day-to-day -day life. And it didn't really resonate until like truly uh, my 29th year of mm -hmm. living, or mm -hmm. I guess my 30th year of living. <laughs> 30. Um, but the other quote that I love, and this is my favorite quote of all time. I used to have this written on um, every mirror I ever had, but it's a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. Ooh. Yeah. Very live, laugh, love. Yes, but <laughs> better. Like, what does live, laugh, love mean? Honestly, live. Okay, live, I'm laugh, alive. Laugh. 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 Love. Love you. Yeah. Mean it. This feels definitely a little bit heftier than yeah. live, laugh, love, but I think that's like absolutely like that's it it's true it's because, fluffy but it's real but it's real because it's like you're not gonna grow unless you put yourself in uncomfortable situations and I think that we spend so much of our time um and I don't think even this if this is like a western culture thing like mm -hmm. trying to navigate away from discomfort we definitely prioritize convenience comfort and Whereas, like, I think in other countries, or at least in, like, you know, where my family is from in Haiti, it's not like we are always trying to, you know, navigate away from discomfort. We, mm -hmm. sort of as a mindset, you know, Haiti's not a, a wealthy nation by any stretch of the means, plagued, unfortunately, by, you know, geographical, not geographical, what's the word? Just like horrible, it, maybe it is geographical. It's, I think you mean geographical. That like, sounds right. <laughs> just, like, just like storms and earthquakes yeah. and the it's people the, there. The, or it's at the mercy of Mother Nature. Right, at the mercy of Mother Nature and a corrupt government and corrupt Western governments. And so I think that like culturally, people there have some sort of expectation that things will not be easy and things will not be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so we're not trying to navigate away from discomfort. We have sort of that expectation. Whereas like, yeah, I think being in America, being, you know, in a more privileged first world nation, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, many of us are trying to navigate away from discomfort. Yeah. And I, you know, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel natural. My first improv class, the musical improv drop-in I did on Monday, it didn't feel great at first because it was uncomfortable. It was yes. new, and I was putting myself in a setting that I hadn't been in before. But just because it doesn't feel good at first doesn't mean it's not good for you. Oh, and I yeah. Think, you know, feel that with exercise, feel that with improv. I think, you know... I'm trying to lean more into being uncomfortable and get more comfortable being uncomfortable right. because I know it's important. I know it's how you grow. I know it's how you learn. And for me personally with doing improv, like, you know, I, I feel that, that being put in consistently uncomfortable quote unquote <laughs> situations, they feel more comfortable over time. You feel more comfortable navigating them and it spreads to everywhere. I think in my relationships, romantic, platonic, you know, it's easier for me to, to start things or to start conversations that feel uncomfortable or are uncomfortable to have. And I think it's, you know, it's not as scary anymore. 
And it used to be. And yeah. it didn't feel good. It didn't feel natural. And, but unfortunately, that is how life is by design. I think a lot of things that are, are good for you, um, they don't always feel good. Like, why don't vegetables taste better? <laughs> I love vegetables, but <laughs> I'm weird. I'm weird. But that makes me think of um, when I was little, I, well, it started when I was two. I was obsessed obsessed with this nutcracker tape um like the ballet yeah, nutcracker yeah, yeah. and it was like some performance on um PBS that my parents had taped for me lol um oh. and I just watched it all the time and my mom said I looked and sounded like a little elephant <laughs> um which is fun and funny so she put me in ballet class and I think when I was like Maybe ages two through five, I really liked ballet. And mm -hmm. then suddenly, I think I started going to my first, like, Russian ballet teacher class, which, mm -hmm. like, I I don't know if that means anything to you, but when you have a Russian teacher, they, they exactly, yeah. that was Tabitha laying down the law thing on the table. <laughs> but it's true, they're so strict, yes. and they're so technical that it kind of, for me, what I loved and still do love about dance is the feeling of telling a story and expressing myself through mm -hmm. my body, but it creates a level of rigidity when you have a teacher who is so technical, like where everything is placed at all times, right. looking for the utmost perfection. And it really made me hate ballet but at my dance studio growing up you weren't allowed to be in the advanced dance classes for the other styles of dance so that was things I really liked like um tap jazz yes. yeah. uh, hip-hop modern lyrical I don't think we had modern I think I did modern in college but I um I couldn't be in the advanced classes for those unless I was taking ballet oh. so um my mom called it the shredded wheat of dance the shredded wheat of dance? Yes, because you had to eat it. Like, it was, like, important, but, like, I didn't have to enjoy it. But it was right. going to benefit me in the long run. It was, like, I a base see. level so that my bell or, excuse me, so that my jazz could be stronger, my tech right. could be stronger. And then, like, as I grew older, my fitness could be stronger. Mm -hmm. um, my theatrical technique could be stronger. I could have a better understanding of the body because of it. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. I never liked ballet. I also broke my toe doing <laughs> oh, point. No. Um, oh, no. And when I was in college, I liked it more than I ever liked it before because I had a non-Russian ballet teacher who uh, talked about ballet as a sport and he made it very athletic and he oh. talked about the biomechanics of how every muscle was working together to produce the movement in the body and that spoke to me a lot more effectively mm -hmm. and, a, and a lot more it was a much more engaging way to describe ballet um, then what my Russian teachers had done, which would be, yeah, tuck your butt in, uh, squeeze this, put that there. That's too low. That's too turned in. That's yeah. not correct. That's sickle. Uh, all those things. <laughs> but, um, but 
it, it's true, it did make everything else stronger in the long run, and it gave me a better understanding of how I moved in space in mm-hmm. so many ways. Um, and then also, like, I hear you in terms of how just, like, putting yourself out there and, like, kind of playing that role of a bigger person in social settings, mm-hmm. it's sometimes necessary, I think, because... Our world is not designed to really support an introvert. Mm. I think. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I don't feel like you necessarily identify as an introvert, but I feel like you do have introverted qualities. It's because <laughs> I solely hole up in the apartment for days. I and I literally will just like be in my little lair. But like when pe- when I see people, but I qualities. That's a quality yeah, that's, that she does that. She does. That. I certainly like and dig I'm in jealous. like a little mole rat. But <laughs> I think. Generally, I I think I am very extroverted. When I'm around people, I get energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and does it have to be people that you know or are comfortable with, or it can be no. like anyone? I actually like in college, I couldn't even go to the library because like the distraction of having other people around me. So like I could never study in like groups of people because like my mind just won't allow me to be around people and, and, and work solely. Like the social part of my brain is like crack a joke, make them laugh, distract everyone. During final season, I would stay away from my friends for this very reason. But to answer your question about like whether the world is well, well is, is well suited for introverts. I think that culturally you see like friend groups you see people going out in your 20s there's this expectation that yes. you're, you're going out you're going to the bars you're going to the clubs you're meeting people mm-hmm. and like that's <sighs> not everyone's cup of tea some people do really really well with just like a one-on-one relationship they're better if they're in like a cozy space and they're at home and I used to think that you know I think in my early 20s I was like I want to experience everything I want to experience everything mm-hmm. but I think with the shift in the pandemic and just with age, I think that <laughs> I've come to appreciate just having like more simple experiences that are that are just with the people that I that I care about. Like if we are at you know here in the apartment in the living room talking for a few hours, like mm-hmm. for me that is just as meaningful and as you know, fulfilling of an experience is going out and going to the bar crawls. And it's just, honestly, all of that stuff takes a lot of work. You have to look good. You have to be ready to meet people. And I think that I just, you know, I'm, I'm so happy with like the set of people that are in my life right now that like, which is an extensive set of people. You have so many friends. No. Yeah. And and they're all like, Good friends. I don't know. I always hear you like on the phone with like everyone and their mother <laughs> and her mother <laughs> and my mother, which is another relationship we will not be good <laughs> But I think, yeah, I don't know if the world is really set up to like prioritize those quiet experiences because also they're more private mm-hmm. too. So they're not like the Instagrammable. We went out, we got dolled up. It's like we sat on the couch and we talked about, you know what we think the rest of our lives are going to look like. And I think that those conversations are amazing. Yeah. And, you know, those are the kinds of experiences that, you know, give me life personally. So I don't know if the world is well set up for for introversion. I I don't think that, like... It's not celebrated. It's not celebrated. Like, oh, you're going to stay at home, you homebody, you lame-o. Like, it's not... 
like you're looked down upon a little bit for wanting to just like stay in or keep things quieter or, or whatever. And I, I don't think that's necessarily fair. I think yeah. there's a lot of ways to connect to people. And if you're somebody that does well in the bar and club scene, like more power to you. But I think, you know, at least in, in right now, I'm okay with like spending a majority of my time with like one or two close friends at a time. Yeah. And I think that feels just as meaningful to me. Sometimes more so. I mean, those experiences, I'm not going to lie, I have felt the pressure throughout my 20s, but especially after the lockdown mm -hmm. season of the pandemic, like when yeah. things started opening up again, I felt obligated to be doing things and to be seen doing yeah. things. And it took me a very long time, like my whole life, to come to terms with the fact that I don't love doing things. <laughs> it was just, I liked the moment of recognition for like, oh, your outfit's cute. Oh, mm -hmm. you look cute in that picture. Oh my God, you went out. It looked like yep. you had so much fun. All about the appearance. But I also feel like for you too, like by a function of your job as like a fitness trainer, like you have to be on. You have yes. to be sociable. You have to be extroverted. You have to be like, oh, hey, oh, hey, 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 to like every single person. And, you know, by a function of the job, that's how people feel welcome and comfortable in the gym space. For but sure. like you always have to be on. And... That's a lot too, and that's so draining sometimes. Like, right. I mean, that is not a job that is created with an introvert in mind. No. And that's not to say introverts can't do it, because introverts, I guess, maybe let's define the difference between introversion and extroversion. Extroverts get their energy, draw their energy from being around other people, where introverts need that solo time to recharge in their own space. And I mean, I feel like a lot of people do perceive me to be an extrovert. Yes, I definitely would perceive you too. Like, but I am definitely just so very not. I can be around people and I can be a big personality and I can have a lot to say. Yeah. And I like to think I'm fun and funny and stuff. <laughs> 30 and flirty and I'm thriving. thriving. <laughs> um, we're trying. We're trying. We're trying. Um, <laughs> but... I think that at the end of the day, like, I can't do those things. And especially the older I've gotten, I cannot do those things without X amount of sleep, X amount of time mm -hmm. staring at the wall, X amount of time mindlessly scrolling through my Amazon app and not buying <laughs> anything or not even honestly seeing anything mm -hmm. um, and just feeling guilty about being on Amazon when the universe is crumbling and just like, Fair. you know, having my like end of the world apocalypse spots. Yeah. I need those. Definitely. Definitely. It keeps me grounded. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and keeps me moving through life. I like to say I'm powered through fear. Ooh. Um, so, um, that's the beautiful. fear of the world ending helps to power me. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's, that's an external motivator if I've ever heard yeah, one. Yeah, but I mean like, and I also need time, you know, to like chill with my cat, uh, cat. to chill. 
with my friends, like, in a not-going-out way, mm-hmm. in a let's sit, like, we're about to do after this and watch the love is blind after, what's it called? After the wedding? After the, what is, the, after the, the love is now visible? I don't know. The love is no longer <laughs> blind because we see it. And also, I'm really excited because this is the recap for season two of Love is Blind. Is if you have that. not watched it, it is one of the most stressful but entertaining things I've ever watched. And I didn't watch season one, so I don't know. And oh, I, my God. Season one was great. Really? Season one was great, but, like, there was also, like, gem couples that you came that season one, like, produced. You got Lauren and Cameron. I don't know who they Amber are. and Barnett. And they're just very well suited for each other. I think mm-hmm. it, it felt different. It felt different. I think the couples this year, not as perfectly or well-matched they stressed me out, and, and I talk yeah. about this at work every day, like in between classes during this uh, second season, but it really stressed me out. It was so entertaining, though, and I am not a reality TV person, <laughs> but I... That's not what you are? I do not identify as a reality... <laughs> I do not identify, honestly, as a TV person. I have a really hard time watching things, That's and weird. by things, I mean... Everything. Are we talking about like all media? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but also kind of not. Like I can't. I don't know, especially movies. But I can't. Yeah, I was gonna say, is it like all media, like TV and movie, or just specifically? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes they're just like. I just know that I'm at a stopping point and mm-hmm. I need to just not do it anymore. Right. And it's I, I feel no emotion towards it. I just. I'm just like, okay, I'm done now. <laughs> um, and sometimes it is, I'm tired and I fall asleep. My dad used to fall asleep when uh, watching movies and sports and we'd say, oh, the movie was watching him or the sports are watching him. <laughs> and sometimes that happens to me and the TV watches me. Um, but I guess it's primarily visual media mm. uh, because I have a lot higher I have a much higher tolerance for listening to music but mostly listening to podcasts and the radio and Mm -hmm. things along those lines I'm not sure I'm not really sure what the difference is between the visual media and the auditory media uh, because I do I I do identify as a visual person and we're talking Mm -hmm. about how I identities I'm excited (laughs) ding 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 Uh, this is fun make it an Um, audience game count the identities that are out count the identities introvert extrovert visual media person visual person yeah audio audio media person visual Visual media learner ah yeah visual kinesthetic learner um and dancer uh, yeah, I'm a retired dancer. <laughs> retired dancer, former dancer. Um, but, yo, where was I going with that? Um, oh, but, yeah, but I just, like, need time to stop watching things mm-hmm. sometimes, but sometimes I do need to watch things. Yep. Like, I, the past couple of days I've been sick. I don't know if you can tell in my voice. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I can't can't go out. I'm sick. Uh, <laughs> but that's a Mean Girls reference. If you don't know it, that's your homework. You have to pause right here before you listen to anything <laughs> else. Go watch Mean Girls. But um, no, the past couple of days as I've been sick after I've finished 
work, I have been watching um, Elvis, the new Elvis movie, the Baz Luhrmann yeah. one, starring Austin Butler. He embodies Elvis so well. It's Dude, crazy. I was telling Dara, I honestly never really understood the obsession of Elvis's time that right. people had with Elvis until watching this movie because I kid you not, I have always thought this. I have been watching Austin Butler and things since I was a baby child because he is the same age as me probably about. Um, and he was like every teen heartthrob yes, and like every Disney Channel show, every Nickelodeon show. Um, he was on, what was that show called? The Carrie Diaries. That oh, like yes. prequel. Uh, with Anna Safira. With, yeah, yeah. Which I watched that whole thing. <laughs> I love stuff like that. Um, I, I, I don't love sex in the sea, but I devoured <laughs> Carrie Diaries. Um, I love a YA media watcher. Oh, always and forever. I am obsessed, except for the new Gossip Girl. We do, we're not a fan. We do not. Definitely do not. But, um, yo, he, number one, he is so freaking talented, but number two, he is so beautiful. Yes, he is. Like, I don't think there is anyone quite as beautiful on the he planet. Just, he has like I don't even know like this like this like this beautiful supple face. Ooh, like he's got what a word. That gave me the heebie-jeebies. I'm not sorry. Gonna lie. It's just like it's okay. Plump would be the worst word to say, but he's got like these like soft facial features. Like but also like the hollow and, cheeks. But he's got like the hollow cheeks, and he's got like this beautiful like. What's the word? It's that like brooding, the brooding kind of like the angel Buffy. Yeah, and yeah. it's like I, oof. Yeah. yeah, I love that movie. I love him in it. I wasn't a fan. Tom Hanks as I didn't manager. Didn't recognize him honestly. Didn't recognize him at first. If you haven't seen this movie, please watch it. Required viewing. I haven't finished it because <laughs> I like get to a stopping point. I'm like, okay, too much media. Can I wanna, go? I wanna sleep, or mm-hmm. I want to just not anymore <laughs> that's honestly like what i do um yeah i'm yeah. so horrible at watching things i but think he's just a little bit cartoony it's the, maybe the accent for me it just makes him feel like a cartoon like villain um, he reminds me of um that you've seen moulin rouge correct yes okay yeah spectacular yeah that yeah. is who he reminds me of and i feel like that's kind of his function in the Baz Luhrmann space to mm. kind of make it that like sort of spectacle that he's yeah. known for but honestly in terms of Baz Luhrmann movies like i love moulin rouge obviously mm-hmm. i really liked uh romeo plus juliet like the oh i haven't one. seen that one. Oh my god wait Leo. Leo. Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, I yes, that. I love that movie. Um, and I was surprisingly very underwhelmed by Great Gatsby, but I feel mm. like with Elvis, he's really returned to that, like, slap you in the face stylistic. Kind of opulence, yeah. Yes, yes, opulence is a great way to describe it. Yeah. But um, anyway, we've moved so far away from um, what we were talking about, but this is a fun conversation. Identity? Um, I identify as somebody who is obsessed with... I'm big into film. Austin. <laughs> no, I'm not big into film, but... Sorry. <laughs> this film, oh my God, I cannot, like, honestly... I was like, if Elvis, like, he doesn't look like Austin Butler in any pictures I've seen, no. but if he was, like, honestly, 
an eighth as attractive as Austin Butler is in this Elvis movie. Like, I get it. Like, I think I could fangirl like that, and I do not identify as a fangirl. I just, you know, I wonder about this, about, like, the the old white male faves of, of, of that time. <laughs> like, Elvis, people were obsessed with JFK. They thought he was so handsome. I kind of get that one. I personally He's do. not my type, but I get it. I I'm, I think JFK is a hard, hard no for me. Well, he, I mean, he and all his brothers kind of established the Kennedy aesthetic, that all-American, like... The all-American upper class, yeah. white as white, white can be. Can, as white could be. The essentially the American version of royalty. Right. I don't know. Still wouldn't smash, sorry. Pass on JFK. Okay. Also the Beatles too. I don't get the Beatles, but I get it in Paul terms of... Paul was attractive. In terms of like the, the time and the style of the time, like I get it. Like I kind of think sometimes 10 years ago... And Ted Bundy also was not hot. I don't know what what the but Zac Efron is. Ted but Zac Efron is Ted Bundy definitely that was, was a good. Hot. That was a good moment. But I sometimes wonder um, if, like, for example, ten years ago, mm-hmm. because of the styles of the time ten years ago, which were what like skinny jeans and like mm-hmm. we're gonna say. I think this might have been a little past, like, the Abercrombie Hollister right. or Postel, uh, American Eagle, everything, the polos and everything yeah. phase. Um, but I wonder if we would have been fans of Manic Pixie Dream Boys in that moment. Interesting. Um, just as a society, like, would we be like, oh, my God, Timothy, Timothy, Timmy, like, would we be like, oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely. Him. Or, oh my gosh, Harry Styles. Like, I don't <laughs> know. Or is it just like, do we condition our minds in a sort of similar way to how we perceive fashion over time? Like, and the changes and everything with that, like, is it all a part of like what we're constantly seeing in the media, right. constantly seeing on the street and being thrust in right. our faces that kind of influence our tastes in right. a lot of ways. Like, honestly, so, like, I think this is, like, almost the Pete Davidson effect. I mean, it's prior to Pete Davidson, but I think, like, you get an oh, image mm-hmm. of a of someone and people are like, oh, this person is attractive or, like, they're declared as attractive and you start to sort of see them as attractive. Like, yes. I saw Jack Harlow, um, like, you years him? ago. Yes. But I, when I first <laughs> saw him, no. And I was like, okay, a white man. And then... People always be like, ooh, Jack Harlow is so hot. Jack Harlow is so hot. And then you start to look at him. And then you look at him again. And then in the back of your mind, you have this Jack Harlow is so hot. Like, mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, Jack Harlow is hot. Interesting. I don't want to say this thought that I have, but I'm going to. But I do want to preface Pete Davidson. If you ever listen to this podcast, I'm so sorry. But I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty sure my first thought when I saw Pete Davidson is that he was one of the top ugliest people I've ever seen in my life. Oh my God. And I have definitely evolved from No, that. Pete Davidson literally, I mean, I don't understand, but he's so attractive. And it's, it's odd. I, did I like, tell you I had a conversation with him on DM? What? Yeah. You DM Pete Davidson? Yeah, and he talked to me. But it was to tell me that he would follow me back if I, like, paid for it. 
<laughs> and I and he had different packages. And stop it. I was like, no, this has to be like a meme Pete Davidson account. No, no, no. This was the real one. This was the verified one. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and I said, How I I said, LOL. I, I can pull it up. But give me a second. But I was like, LOL. Um, I still love you, but I live on the Upper West Side in Manhattan, so clearly don't have any money for that. Yeah, but, obviously. But you can Not as an Upper West Sider. I love you. Um, <laughs> And let me see what the prices were. That's but so wild. That's not what I thought your interaction with Pete Davidson would be. I wish it was different. My man's that. making money. He's doing it. He's got his little his little boat bar thing. Yeah. He's doing it. Wait, does he? But again, it's it? like. I think he deleted it. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, it was real though. Maybe he deleted it after him and Kim broke up. Yeah. Just trying to clear his tracks. Um, but well, again. A lot of it was with Kim, actually. Like one of it, like. Again, Pete Davidson, I thought he was kind of like, mm, like I wouldn't look twice or blink twice at him. Like, okay, it's a guy with a face and like he's tall. He's like, whatever. I love but then, like, face. People are like, oh, Pete Davidson is getting some hot girls, which means by transitive property of having a hot partner, you're kind of hot. And then you're like, oh, Pete Davidson is hot. Pete Davidson is hot. Pete Davidson is hot? Pete Davidson is Pete hot. Davidson is hot. I mean, ah. he was engaged to Ariana Grande, like. And was in a relationship with Kim Kardashian. Like, he's uh, yeah, pulled, well, like. To the hottest. I thought he was attractive before that, and honestly, yeah. I was like, you're going to go that basic peak. Crazy. Come on. And I'm right here. I'm right here. On the Upper West Truly, side. I work like a couple blocks away from where you work, unless SNL is done. Okay. <laughs> because I know you're leaving. But anyway, we're close, Pete. If you hear this, I used to not find you hot. But, then but I, I do now. Yes. But I certainly do now. Yeah. And I am very open about that. I also have a photo with you, Pete Davidson. Um, there was an ad in the West Village uh, around Christmas, and it was your face, and I uh, took pictures with it. We would like to dedicate this podcast episode to, to Pete, Pete Davidson. Davidson. Um, I have it on my Instagram, and I tagged your account that no longer exists in it when you created that account. If you ever make an Instagram again... I will tag you again. Thank you, Pete Davidson. Thank you, Pete Davidson. Also, if you are listening to this podcast and you happen to follow Pete Davidson, no, no, not Pete. I'm talking to everyone now. But oh, anyone, if you happen to like be hit to where Pete Davidson is, <laughs> and where you can send him this podcast, send it to him. We're dedicating it to him. Anyway, <laughs> so we interrupt. We interrupt this programming to talk about Pete Davidson, but. A little rewind. Okay, so where I'm rewinding back to is um, kind of the part of the conversation where we talked about introversion versus extroversion and how society kind of accommodates those sort of um, ways of moving through the world, those mm -hmm. energy. Right, and also like part of that too, like people doing things by themselves, mm -hmm. I think is sometimes, it's not stigmatized. I don't want to say it's stigmatized, but I do think people will be like, oh, you're, oh. I think people see you doing things by yourself and they automatically equate that to loneliness. Yeah. And for me, I do quite a lot of things by myself and enjoy my own company. Tabitha is a <laughs> badass main character because <laughs> last summer, was that last summer? Last summer with uh, a road trip? Yeah. She took a solo road trip, a long one. It was amazing. And she just did it. And 
With like no I think about that thing. all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, I would love some main character Tabitha energy. <laughs> that would be so cool. It's so funny because this is a, something I think about constantly. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when I... I'm on my way to meet someone um, and I'm like taking the train like downtown or like a friend or somebody somewhere I like feel kind of uncomfortable because I see people around me that are with mm -hmm. other people and I'm just by myself yes but on that same point I don't feel like that when I go to work right when I come home from work uh-huh um, when I go to the grocery store um, all those things, like, those are tasks, those, like, menial, like, gotta do them tasks, like, yeah. I don't think twice about, but I'm literally doing the same thing, and honestly, like, often going to social settings, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm such a I'm loser. I'm doing a thing, but I have no friends. Ah, and you know, honestly, I also don't care, though, but I do care. But you do care a little bit, and, yeah. like, even though, like, that's so, that solo road trip was really great. Um, and I took another, so like I had previous to that, I'd done like a solo trip through Ireland. I did have a couple friends there that I saw, but it's not mm -hmm. like I spent my majority of time with them. Yeah. Um, and then I did this solo road trip completely by myself and there are still things like I have to navigate a lot of discomfort in that. Like I remember when I was in Detroit looking for food and I, I was going to go to this Polish place, but there were like no people of color there and I was like oh no do I want to be here by myself yeah and I always was tr picky about like where slash when I would eat meals like I wouldn't always want to go to dinner by myself but in Detroit I had a couple of really good solo dinner experiences like in that bar that Polish restaurant bar I met That's like so cute. such an interesting man he he's like oh my god this was this Norman was wild <laughs> and wild but he was a mortician but he'd also been like I think like a maintenance man of some sorts. Um, he comes from 10 brothers and sisters. Oh he goes, I Lord. lost four of them to the streets. Uh, <laughs> as you do. Oh yeah. my God. And then was talking about his kids, how much he loved his kids, but he thought one of them was being pimped out by her roommate. And I was like, Woof. <laughs> so much is happening here right now. Yes. So much is happening here right now. And then was talking to me about his girlfriend who's black and lives in the South. For some reason I knew, like when that conversation started, I was like, he's going to tell me he's dating a black woman. I just knew <laughs> it. And then when it, when the reveal happened, I was like, yeah. The reveal. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I was like, I knew, I knew. But it was one of like the... I think I told him that night. I was like, I think you were the person I was supposed to meet on my road trip. Like, mm -hmm. solidly, like, one of the most interesting conversations and the most interesting people I've ever met. Um, and actually, kind of reminds me, because it's like I got so much of him, and I was just, like, so excited to meet him and understand his story that I'm like, oh, I have my own story, too. Mm -hmm. And it's nice that these things are all becoming a part of, like, my, my Tabitha web of things that I can talk about or parts of my life. But, yeah. you know, just reminds me, again, like, pushing past discomfort sometimes when you're that nine enneagram you become a really good listener and sometimes you put yourself at the background or yes. the back and you're not putting yourself at the forefront so sometimes I think about that conversation I'm like did I show up enough as me but that is a side that is no, an I, a side I, I like um but generally like even though I was on that trip by myself like navigating a lot of public spaces or social spaces by myself wasn't always easy yeah you know I did go to like a second city show when I was in Chicago that felt comfortable when I was in Detroit I did this like this night felt very fancy I was like I'm gonna take myself out and Ooh. so I went to this jazz bar 
Um, and it was great because people were coming in and improvising and I had a nice dinner. I had a main dish and a dessert and a glass of wine and there was another black woman behind me doing the same exact thing. Neither of us offered to sit with the other. And <laughs> I was like, good, I'm proud of us because we don't need to because we're both just enjoying this experience. Um, there was a table with, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I remember being very heavily distracted, though, by the table in front of us, which is, like, a bunch of older gentlemen uh, with their uh, extremely, extremely young uh, partner, friend, comrade, I don't, he, female companions, companions. Um, uh -huh. and I was like, these these classless folk don't know how to act at this jazz club. At this joint, this classy joint. I'm, like, joint. clapping at the wrong parts, embarrassing. Um, embarrassing. Talking about God knows what. I'm like, this is a, I'm trying to soak in the ambiance. But that was a really fun night, and I really enjoyed myself. Um, but again, like a lot of those experiences, like traveling Italy solo, there was a tons of time where I was like, I'm uncomfortable being alone. Like in <laughs> Rome, I was like, oh, I wish I was here with someone else. Yeah. Um, cause I just felt like, I don't know, hyper visible. Um, and I don't know, like there are black people in Rome, but I don't know something about me navigating as like a black female alone in Italy made me so feel like many very things, yeah. seen very exposed very exposed yeah uh, speaking of more more things than i am or identities i think being black and female are, are probably the biggest or day-to-day -day things or the most obvious things you see about me um and i think that also influences how i navigate spaces and how i navigate spaces alone as well mm -hmm. um i think that you know, I'm hypervigilant just as a woman, and I'm also hypervigilant as a black person. And so that all comes into play with how I navigate spaces socially, too. I think, you know, in college, I would always find that, like, you know, despite the fact that I, I, I think I come off as really friendly and warm, mm -hmm. I remember in orientation being like, that's so weird that I'm not making a lot of friends here. But I think that's, like, the perception. Like, I don't think, and I don't know how to say this. Like, I think that, like, people perceive... They, black women to be not that like I don't know if they have they know how to be friends with black women I think that like the demographic of students at my school which are like predominantly white upper middle class mm -hmm. um come from very like homogenous settings it's like they were almost not used to like a black woman or maybe like my kind of black woman like my what does that mean i don't know but it's just like there you go you're pigeonholing your identity that's again. true you're kind of black woman you like, are a tabitha kind of black right woman. but i think i don't know it's like i would be as friendly and sociable as possible but i'd be like oh that's so weird that these social interactions are falling flat and then i'd watch people who were less nice and objectively definitely more boring than me like make friends and i'd be like wait huh and, like, obviously, you eventually find your people, and I definitely made a lot of friends, most of which were people of color, and I did not have, like, a, I did have a good subset of white friends, too, but it's something that, like, like, thinking back to that college orientation, I was super aware of that, because I think that, like, it's, and, you know, a black man can definitely come and check me on this any day <laughs> of the week, but I think with black males, they get this perception of being cool, and so people are... While simultaneously, like, afraid of black males, yeah. right, yeah. also threatened by black males, I think they also get this, like, oh, he's the man kind of thing. And I think that has to do with a lot of, like, you know, black males in predominant parts of, like, media and sports and entertainment. Mm -hmm. Like, these kids at orientation are all singing and rapping along to trap songs and yeah. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that, like, 
blackness is sort of, at least black maleness can be both threatening, but also seen as kind of cool. Like, oh, that's yeah. Jamal from down the hall. He's real cool. Blah, Jamal. Blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I feel like they... Okay, so I have a question for you. Yes. Jabal from Dama. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't stop thinking Don't about it. Don't at me. Um, so, in those spaces, I want to talk about blackness and the perception of that. Mm. In those spaces where you feel as though other people are not taking as kindly as they could and probably should to your presence, do you feel like you change or have changed over time aspects of who you are to kind of, for lack of a better or kinder terminology, mm -hmm. have you kind of whitewashed yourself? This is tough. Or, um, like, I mean, yeah. I, I, know, I know you and I know that the way that you move through this world is, yes, you're a black woman. Mm -hmm. And I know that probably you get told, oh, but you talk white. And you uh, every white. day of my life, right. you talk white. If I had a nickel for every time I got that. Yeah, so like, as, and I mean, I do too. I, I mean, I'm also pale and mm -hmm. blonde and I'm black, but I'm blonde? Question mm -hmm. mark. Um, but as you move through life, in the Tabitha Black sort of way, mm -hmm. which is just really an interesting phenomenon in and of itself. Not yeah. that you're a phenomenon or no. weird, but it's weird that it's it's a, a thing. That right. It's interesting that a black human can be told, oh, you're acting another race because how can you be doing it? How do white people right. own everything? How do white people own behaviors right. and mannerisms and ways of being? So do you, and then do you, from there, right. in part two of this, is, Ooh, okay. do you make yourself, do you change yourself in any way when you notice that the white people, like do you whitewash yourself or do you, how do you make other white people feel comfortable. I'm doing that in air quotes, this but is, feel comfortable in your presence. There's so much to unpack here. Yeah, that was a lot. Um, go, I think, go, yeah. <laughs> I think, right, like the way that you coined it, like the tab of the kind of black woman way, I had to sort of come to terms with like the idea that like the way that I inhibit my blackness is unique to me. Yeah. And I think for the longest time I was made to feel insecure about my blackness Mostly, honestly, from other black people because mm. being a suburban black girl um, who went to, like, Catholic school my entire life mm -hmm. in mostly white settings. As they are. As they are. Mm. <laughs> they very much tend to yeah. be. It's hard to say that, like, you know, it's hard to, like, claim being whitewashed because in reality, like, we're all products of our culture. And because my family is, number one, like, we're immigrants we're divorced from like American black culture in that way, right? Yeah. Like we're not African-American. So things that- You're not like, what I call slave black. Right, like- What if I am? Right, <laughs> not descendant from American slaves. American slaves. And so yes. we're, I'm divorced from the culture that way. And I, I'm gonna touch on that a little bit later in the road trip and about just like another experience with blackness and understanding and learning about blackness 
like when I went to, what was it? Was it Detroit? I think it was Detroit and that like listening to a lot of like Motown music. Like mm -hmm. I, for every part of the road trip, I think I wanted to sort of theme it and get into the culture of it. Yeah, so I listened I to a lot of Motown on the drive to, through Detroit and on the way there. And it was interesting because, you know, even walking through, when I was in Cleveland, walking through the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, this sort of American black soul R&B um, style, like all of this stuff is stuff that I'm learning. And it's almost like oh, I'm observing blackness, American blackness, uh -huh. from an outside perspective because that wasn't my culture. We didn't grow up listening to Etta James. I mean, my mom liked Michael Jackson, but like we were playing like Haitian music in the household. And so all oh. of those like African-American staples are things that are honestly just as foreign to me in a sense. Like, you know, I was navigating this one museum and it's so interesting because it's, I had this moment where I'm like, I'm probably navigating this similar to maybe like a white person because this is like black culture, but this is black American culture, which is different than the culture that I was raised in. And so I think I always felt a little bit removed from that. And like, you know, other people in my family, like they're, they, they integrate very well in that, but because of the environment that I was in, uh -huh. it wasn't as like connected to black American culture because again, a lot of super white settings and so for me, I wasn't intentionally whitewashing. I think for a big thing for me growing up was like not being a stereotype. I think I went out of my way to oh. do things that were either more mainstream, quote unquote. But again, it was the culture around me. Like uh -huh. we all watched the same Disney Channel movies. Like <laughs> everybody was listening to NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. Everyone we all was, watched High School Musical. We all watched High School Musical. <laughs> uh, but yeah, right. And I had a friend from college who's black who's never seen High School Musical. That makes sense. Because she went to like a school in Kentucky that was predominantly black. And not to say that that doesn't mean that you would be exposed to High School Musical, but culturally, it wasn't the same phenomena as it was in a Catholic school that was mostly white in Westchester. That, wait, hold on. I want to, this is so interesting. I want to go back to just like the music and just like kind of educate yeah. how you educated yourself on that, that specific subset of black culture because right. that is honestly something that I have rarely thought about that like I I, I was raised on Motown mm -hmm. and black music and go-go and my dad was a musician so that mm -hmm. definitely helped and I you know I'm, my life is I'm working in music um, and that's what my degree is in but I just I think the only time I can remember thinking oh, wow, this is not just universal inherent knowledge, and this is not what other people know. I thought, like, so many of these songs, these bands, these musicians were classics for so long, but then I was at um, a family reunion um, for my ex, and or not for him, with him, and his family is all from the Midwest and mm -hmm. they're all very white and they are um, his mom's side which is for whom this family reunion was for they are Dutch um, his mom was first generation from immigrant parents right. etc and somehow I believe 
my girl came up oh you know what it was i cannot remember the name of it right now but have you ever heard of like the dutch like birthday traditions no okay well i hadn't either it was very interesting but there's this song or there's this there are several songs and there's a like a this birthday song that keeps getting repeated and i wish that i could remember more details <laughs> but um it was his Oma's birthday, his grandmother's birthday, and we were going through this book. It was like a program mm -hmm. full of um, different songs and tunes and things, and um, it was all kind of connected to her, to his Oma, but then there were also like traditional things right. that he would sing for a birthday. And one of the songs was supposed to be sung to the tune of My Girl, and only like some of the adults knew it and by adults i mean like the parents and like but do dutch people know about the temptations no 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 but it wasn't even that like i think his alma knew it ah. and she was the immigrant she's right. also cool she's one of the coolest people on the planet um, <laughs> but she's the one who immigrated here when yeah. she was in her 20s i believe um but her children like all grew up here and were raised here and then their children grew up here and we raised here, and I was like, oh, well, it's like my girl, like by the Temptations, and they're like, who are the Temptations? And some of these people are, I, they were younger than me, but they were roughly my age, so right. they were like early, mid-20s at the time, and I was like, oh, well, they're the Motown group, and they're yeah. like, what's Motown? And I honestly was just like, <laughs> I, <laughs> my face, uh, <laughs> I, I was flabbergasted, but then, like, I remember talking to my mom about it, I think, later, and she's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's what you're exposed to. Right. And I just, for some reason, I guess, because it is so interwoven into the fabric of mm -hmm. who I am, not just as a black woman in the world, but as a human being in the world, <laughs> I just assumed it was universal, which was right. wrong, but then I was like, oh, well, maybe it's universal for blackness, but now right. you're saying that that's not the case. Because that's a black American thing. Yeah. Like, that's an African-American, black American thing, and so my family didn't get here until, like, the 90s, um, I think my great aunt might have gotten here in, like, the early 80s, but, like, those are black American things. And I think it's really about like your frame of reference. Like I think, I think about a lot what it's like, what it means to be an American. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there's a group of people in this country who can proudly proclaim that they are American, but they have an entire set of values and culture that is very different than what I have and what I claim as an American. Yeah, and a different level of exposure too. Right. I mean, and not to say that one exposure is larger or smaller than another, but it's just a totally just different Just a completely different world, completely different music, completely different yeah. slang, completely different like geographic settings. It's mm -hmm. a completely different experience. Different priorities. Different priorities. And I think about this because, again, navigating those those spaces, like, you know, if I hadn't have watched VH1 so much as a kid, like, I wouldn't have known about The Temptations either, but I watched that biopic religiously. <laughs> religiously. I've seen it so many times. Same thing with the Jackson 5s. I think I would have known who Michael Jackson was regardless. Yeah. But for me, you know, that wasn't something a part of, that wasn't like a part of my cultural fabric. And so going through this road trip, going through 
these museums centered around black people, I'm learning too. Yeah. Like, cause that's not necessarily, it's not my history, but we have a shared experience. Yeah. And I, I am inheriting the experiences of black people who are in this country that came before me, even though my family is not from this country. Does it make you feel more in touch with your blackness? I or think, yeah. is it just like an experience? It's a it's something you're learning. I don't, I, yeah. Like, how is it related? Yeah. Is it? I think it does make me feel more in touch or at home with my blackness. But I also think to your earlier question about like, do you have to sort of either code switch or do certain things mm. to make white people feel comfortable? Code switch is a great podcast. By code switch is a great podcast. <laughs> MPI. <laughs> anyway, okay. I think that this is like, this might be controversial, but I think actually I've had to code switch in a sense more to fit into all black settings. Because if I'm being honest, black people made me feel insecure about my blackness. Interesting. Always because, especially like as soon as you hear my voice, I sound like a white woman um, or whatever. And Nicole Byer. And I was always called an Oreo. I was always in these all white settings. And so I was doing the same thing as my peers, right? Like I was Mm -hmm. just being a kid. I was listening to NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. And I love the Jonas Brothers because that's the culture around me. But I also genuinely like those things. Oh my God, happy birthday, Nick Jonas. Sorry. Sorry. It's Nick Jonas' 30th birthday. I only know this because he's 12 days older than me. Uh, Happy birthday, Nick Jonas. Anyway, continue. So sorry. Wow. We interrupt this I don't message talk to about boys this much, but celebrities this much. We interrupt Sorry. this message to say happy birthday to Nick Jonas. Yeah, we're recording this on September 16th, 2022, uh-huh. and he is 30 years old. Congratulations. Congratulations. Anyway, keep going. And now back to our regularly scheduled conversation on blackness <laughs> and I'm identity. Like yep, mm-hmm. keep going. Um, but yeah, I feel like I remember even in college, too, like I started to... And it's like, it's almost embarrassing to be like, I wasn't really into hip hop and R&B a ton. Uh Like growing up, I think I definitely was into like pop punk a lot in middle school. I loved pop punk. Um, but what about like a Beyonce? I always loved Beyonce. That, that, without a doubt. Beyonce was always it. And I obviously knew. Rihanna. Love Rihanna. Like there was. Mainstream black. The mainstream, you know, black artists. I would listen to, of course, but. Kanye. Kanye. Kanye was alright back in the I day. I mean, I I, I like Nicki Minaj a lot. Also, like, oh, I love Nicki Minaj. I remember hearing her like rock her verse on Bedrock, um, in like the eighth grade. And I was like, who is she? I like her. Oh, but like, I liked a lot of pop music, a lot, a lot of pop punk, mm-hmm. and it was hard because like the other black people that I was around, with the exception of my best friend Chan, weren't necessarily into those things. Yeah. And so I feel like being in all black spaces made me feel self-conscious because they hear the way I speak or people will hear the way I speak and think like, okay, she's she's like an Oreo or she sounds white. Yeah. And so that made me feel uncomfortable in my blackness. And so, you know, in a way, it's funny, like being able to have like this black cultural knowledge, this black American cultural reference, even getting more into black artists and music intentionally in college. Like I think it helped me connect better to my black peers, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like in an inauthentic ways. Like I've got to prove my blackness by saying I listened yeah. to, you know, this Drake album. But I think 
I was pushing myself too because I think for the longest time it's like I don't want to just be like a stereotypical anything yeah. because again people will see you they will have certain notions and going back to that college orientation thing I don't know what the perception of the black woman is well I mean I know like that we're attitude that we have attitude and we're difficult or we're like somebody's mother always there for emotional support and I think that like being in a setting where we're actually peers I'm a black woman that's not your nanny, that's not your housekeeper, um, that isn't like some black, some quote unquote ratchet black girl that you saw on the internet or whatever, mm -hmm. and you or like, whatever. or whatever, or you make like the black mannerism, or, mm -hmm. or it's like the caricature that you use for the black mannerisms that you use in your joke. Encountering a black woman as a peer, mm -hmm. I think was a new experience. And like befriending like a black woman and becoming friends with a black woman, like I feel like a lot of people around me in college didn't have that experience, and so they didn't necessarily know how to be friends with me, or maybe I threw them off guard. And it's like, no, I'm I'm just a person, uh, just so you know, FYI. Just so you know. Just so you know. And so I think that like I never really had a lot of trouble in mostly white spaces because I'd been navigating mostly white spaces my whole life. So I Did don't you ever feel tokenized in those moments? I think there's definitely relationships. I think there's definitely a couple of moments where like in high school, like I would always talk for scholarship dinners and stuff like that. Granted, I was super bright. It was a good connection for me too. But I talked to like the principal years later about this once like Black Lives Matter happened and people were coming to a reckoning with our high school. It's like, you know, looking back on it, it's like, was I really just like this token black girl that was like used to help bring in money for the school? Or like, was I really special? Like sometimes you wonder. And I'd like to think that like, I was super special. Like I do think that like being black and first gen and you know, this, this symbol of excellence, like I think all of those things are true. Yeah. Um, and just because like I was black doesn't mean that all of the other things weren't true. Just because like, and that's something that I personally have been working like for years and years and years to come to terms with. Right. Like, am I in this show, am I cast in this production because I'm black, so mm -hmm. I feel your diversity quota. Right, because but sometimes... I'm not black, so black that other people feel uncomfortable or right. threatened. And I feel like that in friendships as well. Mm -hmm. Right, because I think it's almost like the... It's like a byproduct of like that affirmative, anti-affirmative action like yeah. rhetoric. It almost makes you feel like, oh shoot, is the only reason I got this I'm black is because I'm black? Like, am I talented? And it creates like this imposter syndrome within you. Oh yeah. You're like, maybe I'm only here because I'm black. Like, what if I don't blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, all of that I think is just unhelpful. I mm -hmm. think that like, I have enough confidence in myself and my abilities now to just realize like, I was also pretty amazing. Like, bar none. You are Stop. pretty amazing, Tabitha. You, I was not a monster, so there. You are pretty amazing. Oh, my ego, my ego skyrocketing. When I was like, five, my mom told me, I told my uh, old neighbor friend, I, his name was Wallace, uh, who lived next door to us. He had a garden. Um, but she said when I was like five years old, and she's probably going to call me after she listens to this and say, it was my neighbor four. It was my neighbor <laughs> or something. But I think it was five. And um, she says I like go up to him. I went up to him and yeah. I said, "Hey Wallace, I'm something." <laughs> and he was yes. like, "Okay, I love it. I love that so much." And that's I'm the energy something. that I am striving to right. get back to my whole life. Um, I <laughs> that do kind have of a confidence, question. that boldness. I That's love that. That's really a lot. I do have a question. Um, kind of going back into 
kind of like your hobbies and interests and mm -hmm. your music choice and we can stick kind of in the realm of music choice because I yeah. feel like that has kind of guided us through this conversation about blackness. Mm -hmm. Have you at any point now, as you've gotten older, um, found that you're comfortable in not liking things? Like I asked that for that are traditionally black. Let me say mm. that. Um, for example, I when I first started coaching, I did not play a lot of trap music, and I'm not gonna lie, like I was a big pop punk playlist person for like my Orange Theory classes mm -hmm. in particular. And a lot of people loved it. A lot of people loved those throwback playlists and right. like throwback pop of like the 90s, the 1000s. And then I had a lot of people who would be like, I, can you play trap? I need you to play trap. <laughs> and I'm like, excuse but I'm also me, but what? The Orange Theory demographic. Like, yes, it was very confusing. I know some white Keith. woman was like, can you play Chief Keith? <laughs> yes no it was wild honestly and especially like in like rich parts of new york and dc that's so funny um it was wild but i i really really love most music mm -hmm. i for the most part and of course i'm not gonna say everything because there are elements that I do vibe with. Yes. But I, for the most part, do not vibe with trap music. That's okay. I, don't I love the Lil Einstein's trap right next to And there's this... Going uh, on the ship. Uh, 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 Little Einstein. Because that slaps. Because that, that slaps. slaps. And there is this album series on Spotify. Everyone should check it out. Where uh, they make like different theme songs for like TV shows and movies and other fun songs and they turn them all into like trap remixes so like <laughs> if you've taken my orange theory class ever um you know that you've heard the office trap remix oh, mixed into some playlist uh, <laughs> because it is lit but so but i have gotten comfortable the older i've gotten right with the fact that i just don't really like trap That's i like point. rap i like beats i did not like what was it um uh was it lemonade Beyonce, uh, any album where Beyonce has leaned more into that trap element than her actual like vocal prowess, and I'm not even gonna say pop, like her R and B, I love, bag. like all of that stuff. I love. Anytime mm. she moves into like a more trap space, I'm not really about it. It's like uh, Thank You Next, Ariana, Thank You Next album. It was more like trap inspired trap heavy <laughs> and that's my least favorite rihanna album i'm not that's gonna so lie interesting. yeah but i am and so bold of you to say yeah i'm saying it publicly i don't like it and i that's not to say that i don't i didn't end up playing it right because i realized like oh no it's, I, it's for like other this. people yeah, right. yeah yeah it's not for me um and i would mix it into things so i mm -hmm. just as i got more and more experienced yes. and coached thousands and thousands of classes, I realized that um, I could kind of find the happy medium. I could right. create like balanced playlists where I could source balanced playlists if I got them pre-mixed. But I am comfortable enough with myself and who I am to say right here publicly on this podcast, I don't vibe with trap music. And, and I'm okay with that. That is definitely okay. But that's not 
something that is um, really okay societally as a black person. Are or, there things like that that you have When done? you say societally, do you really mean like in black spaces? Honestly, no. I mean in white spaces as well because really? white people... A lot of white people really love trap music, going on <laughs> as we just said. Uh, but or they're like trying you think to that they're surprised appropriate and, elements of blackness right. and say that they like a weather. Do you think it'd be like cool. if you went up to someone and was like, "I don't like trap music"? Like, you think a white person would be like, "Oh my god, you don't like trap music?" Or a black or like, do you think your perception from both groups would be? I think that it would depend more on how well the person knew me because I think if you know me as a person that honestly tracks that I don't vibe with trap music. I like yeah. music. This is my thing. I like music and I like rap too. So this is not to say I don't like rap. I really do. But I like music where I hear the voice and mm -hmm. hear people sing and I hear a skill set in some way. And like, that's not to say that I'm against autotune. I think autotune is honestly in a lot of ways and a lot of its utilizations, it's a very awesome mm -hmm. tool. I, I like R&B, I like jazz, I like pop, mm -hmm. I like pop rock, I like rock rock, I like classic rock, I like so much music, ska, <laughs> like ska, ska. <laughs> I love a no doubt, like, give me some no doubt, <laughs> I don't like trap, and I think that if you know me, I mean, and you can like, it tracks, yeah, you can corroborate that, like it tracks, but I think that if someone didn't know me and I said that, on both a black side and a white side, I think that they would be surprised. Similarly, to if you said to a black person and a white person who don't know you very well, that, or even who do, um, that you recently, within the past like two years, learned about Motown and right. like found yourself in Motown. Right. And like, it's funny because I think. My analogous uh, experience is that, like, I think growing up, and I don't think I ever felt really comfortable to say this. So you're declaring it now on the podcast is a safe space. And, like, I actually just, like, I have to reevaluate because, obviously, like, a lot of hip-hop and R&B, like, I was exposed to. I listened to Maya. I listened to Destiny's Child. Mm -hmm. I listened to all of that. Mm -hmm. But, like, if people ask me my favorite genres, like, I kind of didn't like hip-hop for a while. Like, mm. I wasn't really into rap or hip-hop that much. Like, there are rap songs I would know, and, like, you know, just the, the almost the mainstream big ones, mm -hmm. but I wasn't, like... The middle school dance. Like, the middle school dance kind of, like, flow rider, T-Pain kind of hip-hop. And uh, <laughs> I just, like, I don't think I was a big fan of hip-hop growing up. And I think about this, honestly, this is also, like, a purview thing, too, because I think about, like... Growing up, we had like three major music channels. There was VH1, there was MTV, and there was BET. Mm -hmm. I didn't watch BET like that. I did, on the other hand, watch a lot of MTV and a lot of VH1. Uh -huh. And so I leaned into that. And Why didn't you watch BET like that? You know, that's okay. That's probably a little bit of like internalized like anti-blackness in a sense. I think that like... For me, I felt kind of special. Again, it was that defying the stereotype thing. Uh -huh. Like, I liked the fact that, like, oh, like, I don't have to just listen to BET or watch things on BET. Okay. I still did, but I definitely was like, oh, I'm going to watch VH1. And that's how I got into, like, 
tons of ba like Dave Matthews Band and Counting Crows, and oh, I still I love those. I don't really love them either, yeah. so I'm gonna publicly declare that right now. Maybe <laughs> unpopular opinion, but I'm not a Dave Matthews stand. Yeah. Counting Crows are fine. Because where I think it becomes problematic is when you're, like, forcing yourself to like things that you don't actually like. Yeah. Like, I actually developed a taste for those things. Like, because of VH1. VH1 is where I heard Coldplay for the first time. And Coldplay's oh, so my, my favorite band. But I do think that, like, because I got so into those things, like, I was less likely to watch BET as much because I just, I didn't like it as much. Like, yeah. I liked, like, I don't know, I listened to Little Bow. I'm trying to think of, like, who was... Who was up and coming oh, when I was like uh -huh. in middle school? Like I listened to Bow Wow, I listened to Sierra, but like if I were to Sierra. go and listen to right? <laughs> Sierra, beat is on a bop. But like I love that song. I love Sierra, and I knew like I knew a bunch of Sierra songs growing up. I still love Sierra. One two step. Always a bop. Love but up. like if love <laughs> I love her. Anyway, but if you ask me like what I listen to like. Casually, like if I was doing homework mm -hmm. or if I was like doing things around the house, it wasn't hip hop. It wasn't really R and B. Even though like there, I loved hip hop and R and B artists. Alicia Keys was a big one for me too. Oh my god, queen! I was mostly like ingesting like these more mainstream or not. There was some. There was a little bit of folk in there, yeah. like folk, pop, a lot of pop, pop punk, and it just is. It's interesting because like. I think had I had been bold enough to be like, I don't like hip hop back then, people would have looked at me crazy on both sides, on both the white side and the black side to be yeah. like, what? But then I actually think after hearing the way that I speak, people wouldn't be surprised, but I think black people would be like, what? And if I said that now, black people would definitely be like, at all? <laughs> you don't like hip hop at all? But Which you're is not more true. comfortable declaring it because you right. just did. I mean, I could, well, that was a previous me because now, I think that like I've tried to be better about being more well-rounded and I mm -hmm. think it's it's a more recent effort too because I think like maybe around college is where I was like I really should listen to more black music mm -hmm. and I made it a very concerted effort and I think yes it was helpful for navigating black spaces like within our like within our predominantly like 90% white school 70% yeah. white school like knowing <laughs> like being able to connect to the other three percent of black people is definitely like definitely something you need to be able to yeah. do and it doesn't mean that you have to like study up on blackness so that you can hang out with the other black kids but i do think that that helped um help me navigate that socially because it was you know being in a, a super white space like there's white people i can get along with super easily but like there's other like you know I hung out with a ton of musicians and I ended up listening to pop punk, more pop punk or as a result of them or more indie or folk stuff as a yeah. result of being friends with them. But like also hung out with like my really good friend Jackie who loves R&B a lot. And so, you know, I think being friends with her, you know, is the reason I listened to like Marvin's Room for the first time. Like that yeah. first Drake project, like the big, like, oh my God, who is Drake? Like his big debut. Aubrey Graham. Um, Aubrey Graham. From Degrassi. <laughs> yes. Because I, I always thought of him as Jimmy from Degrassi. Yep. But like, that's helpful. But I think that, I don't know, I made a concerted effort in college to be like, I should listen to more black music, become more well-rounded. And like, I took a class my senior year I think it was music in the 20th century. Or, mm -hmm. um, and we started, like, I wrote an entire term paper about, like, black music as a response to, like, social conditions. And I did, like, a comparison of, like, a tr like an, um, 
like a couple a tribe called quest songs and like never listened to them before oh wow and had listened to kendrick's to pimp a butterfly and also talked about it as a response my jaw's on the floor because like way to get like deep in the i was in music right and i was like you know what also in the music department no black people so i'm like you know (laughs) it was tiny so like i i get i well they hired one black professor and he was awful um Sorry, mm-hmm. and I really I was so Sorry, down for the yeah, yeah I was get so better, I rooted him for him so much, and then I took a class and I was like I'm confused, oh, <laughs> I'm confused, no. and so I had to drop it. But like again, I purposefully pushed myself to be like it would be easy for me to do a classical comparison or talk about like being female and like because I ended up like my senior year like like thesis was about like this this opera Salome and talked oh, yeah. about like being female and responses and not this isn't a show about like a crazy heret like hysterical woman it's about female empowerment um but it was easy to go that route but i chose very specifically like i don't listen to hip-hop like that a tribe called quest i don't listen to i wasn't listening to kendrick i knew a couple of kendrick songs but i didn't listen to kendrick yeah and so i had to spend hours listening to that album in order to analyze it and write like an entire paper about it and so I really pushed myself to listen to a lot more black artists because I think for a long time, like, you get sometimes stuck in that, like, well, I'm going to be different and I'm going <laughs> to not, de- I'm going to defy the stereotype. But yes. also in trying to do those things, am I closing myself off from things? It's one thing to, to be like, I'm going to be different. I'm going to defy the stereotype and open myself up to this world or engage more in the mainstream things or the yeah. things with the predominant culture around me. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to do that at the expense of like black things. I don't have to push myself to be more mainstream at the expense of like engaging with black things. Yes. Like if I engage with black things, I don't need to worry about being too black for this. Like I just need to worry about being myself. Exactly. Which is a very, the way our country is structured, the way our society, I'm going to say society is different than country because country I'm talking more of the, um, the legal and entity, entity of, <laughs> of the, the politics of the country, <laughs> and also just the way our culture, our society is structured, don't really accommodate just being you and your version of you, whatever that means, a ton. But I do have a question about, um, as you listen to these artists, uh, uh, Tribe Called Quest, uh, Kendrick, mm-hmm. did you find that you started to like hip-hop yeah. more? Okay, or it was just more like, I understand it more, and I appreciate it more right. and differently than I did before. I think it's funny because, like, in that particular example, I approached it as an academic, uh-huh. and so I think from the academic perspective, I could see how clever and how brilliant it was and the artistry. And it made me even yeah. more like proud to be black because I'm like, look at my people, look at my yeah. people. But in terms of just like a music listener, like I listened to Kendrick's latest album and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like a me from like 10 years ago, like I would have never listened to like a full Kendrick album. It just, I wouldn't have gravitated to it, but I started to like it. 
And I think that, you know, there's a lot of music genres. I recently dated somebody who has the weirdest taste in things. And like, I find and myself- just the weirdest. Just the yeah. weirdest. Yeah. Yeah. That's a different That's episode. a different podcast episode. Oh. But <laughs> I find myself liking these things that I'm like, these are strange things, but I can appreciate that they're good. And then I, then you like, you like grow a taste for them and you realize that, oh, I really like this. And I so, like to say I like bad things. <laughs> like, I like things that are so bad that they're good. And yes. I like things that I decide are so bad they're good. Yes. When some people might be like, they're so bad they're bad. But right. I think it's fun. It's it's good to you. you. It's create your to own you. joy. <laughs> right. You create your own joy. My next live, laugh, love. Right next to the uh, nothing. Find goes. your bliss. Find your bliss. Live, laugh, love. You create your own joy. My comfort zone is beautiful place. Nothing ever grows there. Anyway. Our new line of pillows coming exclusively uh, to TJ Maxx and Marshall. Yeah. <laughs> My conversation with Tabitha was so good and so much fun that we just had to split it into two parts. So... Stay tuned for part two of my conversation with Tabitha coming next Tuesday. What Are You was created by me, Angel Lisa. For more information about the podcast, check us out on Instagram at whatareyoupod. You can also follow me on Instagram or TikTok at Angel Lisa. Our website is coming soon. Graphic design, sound design, and sound editing are all done by me, Angeliza. Our theme song is Flowers by Coma Media. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in your ears soon. And remember, shine bright. <laughs>